Hi folks, this is Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life, if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is December 13th, 2016. This is episode 1914 of the Survival Podcast. And I'm kind of resurrecting a very old show and kind of not, kind of doing a completely new show. Um, recently, I've gotten an inordinate number of emails from people with something I heard a lot in the very beginning. I'm trying to get my spouse on board, but they're highly reluctant. Um, I've actually heard from two people recently, and I'd only ever even heard this one other time, but I heard two different people recently tell me the following. My wife is so opposed to anything like this that she won't let me put a garden in. And, and when, I, when I hear that, I just cringe because I think, my God, people have gardens all over the place that aren't preppers or preparedness-minded or modern survivalists or anything. I mean, a garden is a garden. And I remembered when I heard that, Two people recently again said this to me. A guy that I actually had here at my place one time came to visit, said that he went ahead and put a garden in, but his wife refused to even eat any of the food that came from the garden. And I thought, you know, I, I don't even know that I can reach or help someone that's that far. The, the, I guess the term would be un, unequally yoked, right? I mean... When you think about that, like I, I can't even get my head around the fact that a a spouse, a, a partner in a relationship of any kind or shape or form would say, no, I won't eat that tomato because you grew it. Or, no, you can't put a garden in the backyard because that's a preparedness thing and we don't do that. There's a vapor lock there and it, it, it's it, perhaps too extreme. Um, and, and I don't I don't get that at all. But what I, I figure is that if there is that extreme and there's the, yeah, I'm on board, there's got to be a whole lot in the middle. And the show that I did was all the way back in October 8th, 2008, episode 69, and it was getting your spouse on board with emergency survival planning. And I thought, I've, I've referred people to that over and over, because I've gotten similar things and, and much less extreme things over the years, and I always just go listen to this show and maybe get them to listen to it. And... With this all coming up recently and this kind of rash of new people with less severe but reluctant spouse issues, I thought, well, let's go back today and revisit that. Let's talk about the concept of getting people on board. And maybe let's broaden it. Yeah, we'll, we'll focus in a little bit on the spouse thing. It's a little more stressful. But, you know, getting anybody who you care about, a brother, a sister, a brother-in-law, a family member, a friend who's just completely unprepared to think, you know, maybe it would be good to be just a little bit prepared. But, yeah, they have this, this extremism resistance. So that's what we're going to do today. And what we're going to do differently is when I went back and listened to that episode, I realized that I was really counseling the onboard person with how to talk to the offboard person. And even though I, I do think a lot of people did get a spouse to listen to it, it really helped. Um, I don't want to redo that. I want to, I want to talk directly to the non-onboard people today. I do think this will help the onboard people, though, because it will help you better communicate with such people. Um, I am a professional communicator. That's what I do. And I've been a professional communicator most of my life. 
sales and marketing are means of communication. I spent about 20 years of my life in marketing and sales, and I've been doing this now for eight years. So maybe I can reach. So this is what I'm going to be doing today. We'll, we'll do the intro segment like normal, and then I'll do the meat of the show like normal, and then I'll do the closing segment, and then I'm going, when I produce the show today, I'm going to produce a second version of the show that you can send direct links to people with. There'll be a link in the show notes how to get it. And you'll be able to say, hey, maybe you can go listen to this, and maybe it'll help you understand what I'm trying to say. And they won't hear all of this intro. They won't hear the commercial. They won't hear the uh, history segment, because I think this is important. And, and I'm, you know, it's the season of giving, and I want to give something to this community today, and that is an asset or a tool that can help you reach people who you might think are unreachable. Before we do that, let's go ahead and take care of our two sponsors of the day. You know, guys, I've been telling you about how Safe Castle Royal has everything for your prepping needs for over seven years now. Everything's a big word, but in this case, it's true. Of course, they have long-term storage food, water purification equipment, shelters, solar and wind components, and more. But hey, did you know they even have an amazing fold-down, bug-out bicycle? Yeah, they actually have two of those. For everything you could ever need as a prepper, and I do mean everything, check out safecastle.com today. You know, Western Botanicals is my personal first choice for everything herbal, from whole raw herbs to preparations and ointments. In fact, two products I use all the time from Western Botanicals are the Deep Heat Ointment and the Turmeric Combo. Western Botanicals is the no-nonsense, no-hype herbal source you can trust. Learn more at westernbotanicals.com. And our TSP Business Directory supporter today is Deeply Rooted Organic, started with the Soil Cube, but they also offer an amazing line of tools for the kitchen so you can grow local and cook local. Check them out at DeeplyRootedOrganics.com. That's Clayton Jacobs. He's been on the show a long time ago. He sent me a new thing. It's called the, uh, I think it's called the Recipe Cube. It's cool. I'll be featuring it for you guys soon on the Amazon item of the day. But G Deeply Rooted Organics, awesome guy. Check them out in the TSP Business Directory. And remember, tspbiz.com is how you can do business with other members of our community. Now let's take a look at the year that was the episode. The year is 1914 because the episode is 1914. I have the following for you from Alex Shrug for this year. The war to end all wars is here. I have death to all tyrants, or maybe just death. And then I have better off losing. I'm going to read kind of the intro segment, The War to End All Wars, for you, and I'll give some mile high of the other ones because this is a major turning point in history. Before that, though, notable births this year. Yuri Andrabov, chairman of the KGB and general secretary of the Soviet Union, uh, is born this year. Joe DiMaggio, center fielder for the Yankees, best known for his 56-game hitting streak. And Alec Guinness. Is that the beer guy? No, Alec Guinness. Is the actor best known as Obi-Wan Kenobi from the Star Wars movies? That'd be the old, old Ben Kenobi. In other news, Babe Ruth, Babe Ruth, Babe Ruth makes his major league debut. He pitches a winning game for the Red Sox. He also meets his first wife. And the last passenger pigeon dies. They once filled the skies. You shot in their general direction. You were bound to hit several. And Goddard patents his multi-stage rocket. He also patents his patents liquid rocket fuel. Quick thing on a passenger pigeon. People think this is an example of an animal being hunted to an extinction level. It sort of is. It's multifold. It's also massive to do with habitat loss. If you look up the original range of the passenger pigeon, people think, seem to think they were all over the United States. They were really focused kind of in the... Uh, like the kind of the Washington, Central Atlantic, North Carolina type area was their breeding area. 
and then they spread out to about a third of the United States from there with migration. They didn't go to South America, they didn't go to Canada, they didn't go to the Pacific Ocean. It was actually fairly small compared to something like Morning Dove, which made them more susceptible. They also were very dependent on mast, including oaks and hickories and chestnuts, which right about this time are about to be extinct as well in North America. So that was a problem, but the real problem, the real problem was that there were so many of them, people never thought they'd run out, and they were hunted. They were hunted as a cheap commercial food product. So it wasn't hunters, the way that people think of hunters today that did this. These were commercially harvesting, you know, basically killers that were out harvesting them, though, like, like you were scraping the bottom of a barrel of oysters or something until there was not a single one left. Just something I thought maybe many people would not know and might want to know when you hear of the horrors of hunting and hunters overhunting things. Anyway, the war to end all wars is here. Just a few words before we begin this, begin. this generation has been running at a furious pace, believing that success is within its grasp. They're good enough. They're smart enough. And doggone it, they don't give a crap what you think. The safeties are off. The governors are disabled. Then it happens. For years, world leaders have been dropping like flies to assassins' bullets. But the balance of power has changed. Mutual defense treaties, some of them in secret, have been signed between major European powers. Otto von Bismarck's cradle-to-grave social programs and building power base frightens everyone. Serbia harbors separatists who want Austria-Hungary to return to Serbian territory. However, the coming war is not the fault of a single leader or terrorist group. At any point, the public could have called a halt, but they were no more willing to back down than their leadership. They called it the Great War, or the War to End All Wars. Millions are going to die. It's going to happen, and it will be more horrible than you can imagine. I mean that. Here we go. And that is what we're about to embark on here from 1914 through 1918 with the Great War, as it was called. The first war where we truly had advanced killing to a commercial scale and fought the war as though it was a war from 100 years earlier. And some of that happened in our war between the states, the Civil War here, but nothing like World War One. Some of the things that are in the other ones, everybody seems to know, if you have any historical knowledge at all, that the Great War was started by a person claiming to be an anarchist named Gavi Lo Princip, who was able to shoot the Archduke Ferdinand and his wife and killed both of them. But as Alex said, that's not a reason to go to war in of itself. The other segment, Better Off Losing, tells us, in short, that as Russia plunges deep into Germany and Belgium, uh, and the French meet them, 250,000 Russians end up dead or captured. And they were all ready for war. They were absolutely ready, and they went headlong in. But they were defeated at that first point, mostly by the French. But by the end of the year, 955,000 Frenchmen will be dead, and we're just getting started. This war, to me, is, you know, wars of modern times. When you look and say, well, it's terrible that it happened, but at least this is, this is the, the upside. This is what's good about it. If you want to say World War II, for instance, you could say, well, the elimination of, of, of the Nazis the liberation of many that would have been killed without it, um, how well Reconstruction went in Europe and Japan, the relative peace that came from it, the war between the states here, whether it was the goal or not, the end of slavery. 
I mean, there's no matter how horrible it is, it seems like every war that I can think of, something good came from it in wars prior to World War One, And then after World War Two, Korea, eh, you've got to really hunt. Vietnam, you don't seem to get anything, but there's nowhere near the, the totality of the loss of life in World War One. There's nothing, there's no upside. There is no upside. I guess even Vietnam, if you're, if you were Vietnamese, you might have said that the, the result was an end to over a hundred and two hundred years of colonial occupation in Vietnam. So you could even say, you know, once, just, we always get myopic like that. We look from our side. But who feels like World War One benefited them in the end? You know, I, I know everybody that would, say it would be dead by now, but there, there isn't anything good that came from World War One, and we're talking the death of millions. And it should have been the war to end all wars, because people should have learned from it. But the more things change, the more they stay the same. My take by Jack Spierko. Alright, let's get into it now. So, what I want to do today is I want to talk to people out there primarily who are resistant to the concept of preparedness. Notice I didn't say survivalism, because I think that even though survivalism is a perfectly fine word, it conjures up images that I absolutely don't want to conjure up today, and it's not what we're talking about. Preparedness sounds a little bit softer. And kind of what I want to start out with is just, if you're listening to this because somebody asked you to, first of all, thank you for listening. Uh, I am Jack Spierko. I have been doing a podcast on preparedness and lifestyle design for over eight years. It is my full-time business, and there's been a lot of people that have benefited from it, and I just want you to kind of give me an opportunity. Give me, I'm going to take a hell of a lot more, but give me 15 minutes, and if in 15 minutes in, you really feel like you have nothing here for you, you can stop listening, okay? So... I want to start out with, you know, kind of just understanding that you probably already are into preparedness just in certain segments where it seems more comfortable and you don't realize it. For instance, if you are married and you are a two-income household, you should at least have life insurance, right? And if you don't, you kind of, maybe it's because you don't think you can afford it or whatever, but you're not resistant to the idea that one of you could die and that it might be good if that income had some level or some portion of it replaced by an insurance instrument. Well, that's a basic form of preparedness. You probably have insurance on your car and, and on yourself as a driver. And you probably have it partly because the government requires it. But, you know, in general, once your car is paid off, you can reduce your insurance to pure liability and not insure your car. Just, you know, what happens with other people? Most people don't do that. They keep their car insured, even though the lender's not there making you do it anymore. They, they don't just drop to the legal, you know, lowest level of, of insurance. Or your house. When you buy a house, you have insurance on your house in case it burns down, it's damaged in a storm, you know, something goes wrong with it. And the mortgage lender forces you to do this. But yet, when people, you know, if they're, if they work hard and pay their house off, they generally don't cancel their insurance because they know that it's a good means of being prepared in case something goes wrong. And when you think about it that way, it makes perfect sense. Well, what about all the other parts of your life where there's not some governing body or some entity to require you to be prepared in case something goes wrong? So it's really not that radical of a thought. So then we have to say to ourselves, well, why people, why do people resist the concept of preparedness? What makes you, if you are a resistor, you know, be a member of the, the rebel alliance, so to speak, and say, no, we're not doing that. 
Um, the first and, and most often thing, and I don't know really it's a reason, it's more of like a defensive shield. And it, I hear it all the time, and I hear it either you know secondhand through somebody that tells me about a partner or a friend or a, a spouse that says this, or um, I hear it directly from people when they ask me what I do and I tell them what I do, and they say, well, what could really happen? The what could really happen attitude. Well, nothing really happens here. You don't understand. I live in a gated community. We worked really hard. We have a beautiful home, and we live in a leave it to be live it, leave it to be uh, leave it to beaver neighborhood, right? That's where we live. Nothing goes. Nobody breaks in here. There's no crime here. Okay. Do you stay there? All? Let's assume that you're right. Okay. Because I, I think there's still nice neighborhoods are places that bad people want to go steal stuff, just to say. And tornadoes and storms and all those other things don't care about your your gate around your community or floods or weather events or power outages. None of those things care that you have that. But but let's just say that that is your, your basic bubble. Do you do you go to put gas in your car? Do you have a job? Do you go to, you know, stores? So you, you you're you're if you're out and about at all, at some point you're vulnerable. And that kind of leads to the, the real reason that you get through when you crack that defensive shield. It's uncomfortable to accept that there's danger in the world. I've seen people literally put their hands over their ears when you start telling them real things, not that could happen, but have happened nearby. You know, or when you explain like this is, you know, for instance, Superstorm Sandy, which hit New York City, not a place that generally worries about natural disasters. There were people in affluent neighborhoods that were dumpster diving 48 hours in. Because in New York City, the places are so small, many people don't really keep any food at all in the house. That should bring it home. But when you tell people that, the, 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 their natural reaction is, well, those people are idiots. And of course, if it, we couldn't get food for two days, we wouldn't starve in our home. We have a refrigerator and a pantry. I mean, there's at least a week or two worth of food in most homes. And you're right, that's true. But the reason you start immediately explaining away is because it's uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable to think that You actually could be in a position, especially if you come from a position where you did worry about eating, that you could have to do it again. It's very uncomfortable. And I grew up in a family that was really a poor family. I didn't really know it, but they were. And when I first came out on my own after I got out of the military, I thought everybody would want to give me a job because I was in the Army. No one really cared. And, you know, I was able to get a job making six bucks an hour. I had a roommate. We shared an apartment. But there were weeks that I was waiting to get that paycheck because I was starting to run out of food. You know, I'd start visiting neighbors that were friendly just to see if maybe they might say, hey, you want a sandwich or something. And when you start thinking, when you become successful and you go years and years without ever having to worry about it, and then you have to think that maybe you could be in that position again for whatever reason, I want to think about it. And you can go through every type of situation when you think of what you might prepare for that thinking about it is uncomfortable. And think about it like going to get a medical exam to see if you have a cancer. You don't want to do it. If you think there's a real risk, you'll do it, but you don't want to do it. You don't want to do it. And people get routine testing all the time that, that, that there's no reason to expect. It's just routine screening. You know, colonoscopy or a mammogram, right? And, and But nobody really wants to do it. I'm sure the procedure itself is not very pleasant. 
you know, my wife's explained to me it's not pleasant to have a mammogram, but it doesn't really hurt. It's no more inconvenient than most things that you would do. But the very thought that the result might be, oh, there's something wrong, is uncomfortable and unpleasing. But because it's something that's bolted into our life, that you know, in your, your health care program at a certain age, you're supposed to do these things, and a doctor tells you to, and everybody else does it, well, then you generally get through it. But see, preparedness is a very easy thing to just throw a switch in your head and say, I'm not going to think about that. And that's one of the biggest reasons people don't want to discuss it or don't want to do it. The next is because they think prepping is like the nonsense on the TV. These crazy people dressed in camouflage, running around in the middle of nowhere, setting up booby traps, sitting on like, you know, a hundred thousand dollars worth of stored food. That's stupidity. It's not real. But when you, when you think of it, that's what you tend to think of if you're not informed about preparedness. So you won't even take the basic steps that make the most sense that we'll be talking about today. Another reason, and this is an honest reason, is some people aren't going to like it, but it's the truth. Growth and learning can be uncomfortable. And what we're really talking about is growing as an individual, growing into a truly responsible adult. If you're not taking the steps to make sure that your child will eat if something goes wrong, then you're not being a responsible parent. I'm sorry, you're not. And just, well, I have a good job and I save some money, does not guarantee that. There are things that can interrupt that process. Or, to me, it was very important to me, especially when my son was still young. My son's now grown. He's 27 years old. I have two grandchildren. But when my son was young, if the power is going to be out, it's going to be really cold in the house, it was important to me that we had steps in place so that he would at least be as comfortable as possible. I didn't mind him having to tough it out a little bit. I had no problem when we lived in Pennsylvania. It was snowing, and it was five degrees outside. But the school was still on, making him walk a half mile to the bus stop. But I don't want him staying in his home for days very, very cold. And part of that is I remember a time when that happened to me as a child, and we lost power. And it only happens in the north, right? We were living in Jacksonville, Florida. And I remember being so cold, my feet hurting, my fingers hurting, in my own home, even with covers on. And we weren't prepared. And that part of our life, we weren't prepared. When we moved, we moved, and my father retired from the business that he, he worked at seven days a week, and I got to meet the rest of the family and be there with people that were more of the homestead type, I learned another way. And my dad knew that way, but he was like most people. He was trying to provide for a family of, you know, a family of five. And so I remember that time, and I didn't want my son to be like that. So, you know, It might be uncomfortable to learn and grow, but it's more uncomfortable to not learn and then need to have learned. Next is, I think a lot of people are afraid of what they'll have to give up or do without. When you get into thinking about preparedness, one thing you have to do is get your financial life in order. And there's a lot of people out there spending a lot of money on credit cards that are just punting it to the future. And the thought that, well, you're just not going to be able to go shopping whenever you want to anymore it is quite frightening to them. And I just kind of want to point out the converse. When you're 65, you're thinking about retirement, and you can't because your credit card bill is three times what it is right now, even though you, you've been quote-unquote paying on it for 30 years, that's more frightening. That's a lot more frightening. 
And there's going to be no big giant gob of gold that shows up and lets you pay it off. So sometimes people think, well, they'll have to give up. Or they'll think, well, you know, if we're going to do this, then we're going to have to move off in the woods or something. Plenty of people practice a modern preparedness lifestyle that probably live right next to you right now. If you have any good-sized neighborhood, um, it is unprepared as the average American is, probably one in ten do all of the things and more that I'm going to talk about today. They look just like you. You talk to them. Your kids play together. It's not what you think it is. But people have a tendency to fear that um, and fear what they might have to give up. And I'll tell you that if you're going to get your life into a prepared state, at first there are some things that you would have to give up. But in the end, you get them all back and more. Your quality of life just goes up. Um, here's the biggest one, though. And I think a lot of people who are trying to get their spouses on board, especially, don't understand this. The, the resistant party is afraid that their partner is going or go, is going or will go batshit crazy. Okay? They, they will be like those people on TV, even if they're not talking about it right now. Even if they're like, you know what I think we should do? I think we should uh, make sure that we have, let's say, instead of a week's worth of food in the house, all the stuff that, that doesn't go bad, all the stuff we buy in the grocery let's just start buying two of it. We call that copy canning. Let's just, let's just start buying two of it, and we'll buy two instead of one until we have a few weeks stored up, and then we'll do it with something else. We're saying, hey, maybe we should get some you know, flashlights and batteries together so if the power goes off, we can find, find stuff. Stuff that really makes sense. The reason, it, even though it's so, so subtle and so simple, is it's the, the person's changed in some way that you're uncomfortable with. Like They're talking about stuff that you guys never worried about, and you, you think they're going to go over the edge if they take the first step. And I'll be completely honest with you. I have two jobs in what I do. One is to get people to be responsible for themselves, take responsibility for themselves, design their lives, and put preparedness into that design. The other one, and it might be the more important one, is to talk people on the ledge that are ready to jump off into the abyss of insanity off the ledge. The United Nations is not coming to confiscate your tomatoes in your backyard. It's okay. It's going to be all right. Not everything is a plan for one world government. You know, the, the economy is probably not going to crash to the ground and blaze out tomorrow. Uh, you, your dollar will probably still buy something next week. It's okay. Let's just get a hold on things and go slow. So there, And if you have a partner and the reason you're resistant is they seem to be exhibiting that behavior well, then this show is a good place for them to be because they are going to get talked off that ledge. And it would be great if they had someone to work with for the positive things that are good for the family. So what does that look like? What 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 is preparedness all about? What is living a little bit more sustainably all about? What is you know designing your lifestyle rather than letting society decide your lifestyle for you all about? What's it look like in the end? Well, what's interesting is that we've been doing this show now for eight years. So unlike when I started out and we had to kind of guess at it, because I can only tell you what it had done for me, and one person does not make a good you know, control group uh, at all. It doesn't really prove anything. And... Um, I guess the best way to look at what we've been able to accomplish over the years is to look at the direct results from the audience. 
And as an experiment to see what really was going on, because I thought I knew. I thought I knew because of just all the emails and feedbacks that I get and general phone calls I get to our call-in number. Um, when I got to episode 1,000, I put out an invitation. Call this 800 number and leave a voicemail. You get up to three minutes to tell us. I think I give people four. I give people four minutes. Up to four minutes to tell us what has changed in your life and how the Survival Podcast has made your life a little better. I was blown away. That show ended up being four hours and 54 minutes long. And you can still go listen to it. And it'll make you choke up at times. You, It will completely blow you away with how much basic preparedness has done for people. And and I don't say that to kind of toot my own horn and say, hey, see, look, what I do works. It's not what I do. It's just basic common sense, really. I'm just a guide on it. And I don't think it's unreasonable to say to somebody, if, if, if they say to you, this is kind of what you should be doing in your life, for them to say, okay, well, what are the results? I mean, if you went to a fitness trainer, And you said to that fitness trainer, uh, yeah, I want you to train me. And they said, well, this is, this is the workout regime that I have for you. And that person's probably going to look like they're in good shape. And you would expect that. But if you're kind of a wise person, you kind of want to see, well, what have you done for others? Because some people are just really great athletes and some people have great genetics and, and what have you. And, but can you help the person like me get into shape? And if they say, well, I have one guy that kind of did okay and another guy that did all right, and then the rest of the people, they just didn't work hard enough. You're like, maybe I need a different trainer. So when you can point to you know, hundreds of examples of success, then that says you're doing something right. And again, it's not me. It's just these things lead to these positive interactions. So I invite you, you know, to, to pull up that episode. The, the person that shared the show with you can help you find it and, and just listen to maybe 20 minutes of it. Just pick a random location and just start. It's, it's unbelievable what these steps do for people's lives. I'm talking people that were 20 or 30,000 dollars in debt and two years later have not only gotten out of debt, but they have their house paid for. And not everybody takes that path with it. You don't have to. I'm not Dave Ramsey, right? I, I, I'm just saying that is one example. People that have come back from overseas with PTSD and said they were a hair's breadth away from taking their own life that latched onto this and realized what they did mattered and turned their lives around. These are the types of stories that come out of this. And it's not always the extremes either. Sometimes it's just the basic person that said, you know, I, I, I didn't know what was missing in my life. I, I, I was, had a little, a good job, a decent family, but there was just something that wasn't there and it was a hollowness. And, and then starting to figure out how to actually make your life the way you want it changes things. And basic preparedness is the start of that. Um, another, thing that I want you to realize this is all about is it's really about taking care of your family and those that you love. If you have people in your life that you care about, children, spouse, older parents, anybody out there that depends on you, the, the more stable you are in your life, the more that you can do to help them in their times of need. And I hear parents all the time talk about how much they would do for their children. And I don't mean to sound like a jerk, but if you can't feed them for three weeks, if somebody shuts off your income and doesn't let you leave the house because something goes wrong, then you're you're not doing all you can to make sure you're taking care of them. 
And I hear people say, well, I'll, I'd go hungry before my children did. I'd, I'd let them have the last of And what, what, what about when that's gone? Or how can you be there for them when you're not taking care of your own needs? See, one of the most basic things that we need to understand as individuals, if we're going to be responsible adults, is that the concept of all sacrifice for my family is noble. I've done it in many ways and in many times, and if it comes down to it, I'll do it again. But it's not your first plan if you're doing it right. It really isn't. Because in the end, sacrifice can mean you get seriously injured or killed, and then who's there to take care of them tomorrow? The self-preservation instinct is there for a reason. It's as powerful as the instinct to preserve the life of those that we love. There are those instances in a split second where a decision needs to be made, where one lays down their life for another. It's noble, but it doesn't need to be plan A. And we should be doing everything we can to prevent it from ever happening. It is about taking care of your family and those that you love. It's about not having to tell your kids, I'm sorry, you can't have any food right now. It's about not having to tell your children, I'm sorry, we're sleeping in the car tonight because we can't go home and there's no other planned place to go. It's about not telling your children, I'm sorry, here's another blanket, maybe the heat will come back on tomorrow. That's what it's about. And again, I know it's uncomfortable to think about that. It will be more uncomfortable to experience it. Trust me. It's also about improving the quality of your life today. When I started this show, I said, I need a way. I need a way to get people on board with this and get them to actually take action. To actually do the things that we're talking about. And I realized if I just kept talking about well, what it could be like, how you would get there, or here's why you need to do it. These things could go wrong. When they do, you won't have any resources. By putting these in place, you'll have them if it happens. As logical as that is, people don't act on that. And we can go back to health and fitness for a second. If you would fall over and die of cardiovascular disease, if you went two weeks without exercising and eating right, you'd exercise and eat right all the time. You'd never not do it. The fact is we know the behavior of, of, of sucking down a disgusting cheeseburger uh, and, and french fries and a, and a giant Coke is bad. We all know that's bad. We always say, well, in moderation. Well, And then you look at America and go, it's not very moderate. But the fact that the consequences can be delayed for so long are why people don't exercise more and eat better. The longer we can defer the consequence, the longer in our minds we can defer the behavior which prevents the consequence. So I couldn't rely on that. People do what benefits them in the now. Now, if it benefits them in the now and it benefits them long term, then you could sell them on the long term. Retirement. That's a hard one for people to get their head around, you know, saving money. But we all tend to do it sooner or later. Hopefully, most of us do anyway. They make it easy. They give you a 401k at work. But in the end, once you start saving for retirement, you see the money start to accumulate. It feels good, and it feels good now, even though you're not going to touch the money till later. And, and that's kind of still, it's, it's still a deferred gratification. Well, what if I told you with basic preparedness, you can learn how to build up a greater supply of food in your home, to organize it, to rotate it, to know that if something goes wrong, you're eating for the next month minimum. 
period. You're not going to be hungry, your kids are not going to be hungry, and you're not going to be living on military rations. Same stuff you eat all the time, that it's not that hard to do. And that once you do it, yes, it'll cost a little more money as you're building up to it, but once you do it and you stabilize it, and you systemize it, and you organize it, And then when you go to the store and they don't have a sale on an item that you have plenty of and you defer buying it until they do, you can actually save money and put money back in your budget and have more money, not less. That is one example of what happens. And that's part of improving the quality of our lives today. If we as a family sit down and we discuss how we can be better prepared, we start communicating. And boy, do families need more communication today. The quality of life goes up. If we take simple steps like, you know what, we should have some control over our food supply. We put in a small, and it doesn't have to be some crazy, you know, uh, hippie-looking garden, some small, nice-looking garden and some herb gardens in our backyard or out on our porch even in pots. We start to produce our, some of our own food. It feels good. It tastes good. It smells good. It's better for you. It costs less money. Our life is better today. Our life is better right now, this minute, because we're prepared for bad times in the future. We have a better time when times are good. And what I came up to kind of embody that was helping you live the life you want if times get tough or even if they don't. And that's what basic preparedness is really all about. It's about improving the quality of your life today so that you have greater resiliency in your life tomorrow. It is also about responsible money management, saving, and investing. Our country is so financially unprepared, it's unbelievable. Half of the people in this country right now are on some form of government assistance. It's actually not half. It's 49%. 49% of people in this country are getting a check from the government. That's not an employment check. 49%. Yes, that includes retired people that are on Social Security. But you have to really think about that. Like, Have you ever looked at what your projected Social Security is and thought, what if you had to live on just that alone? And plenty of people that never thought they would live on just that alone right now are living on just that alone. Our country has become a nation of consumers, and that's, that's bad enough if one is earning income and spending it without saving it. It's worse if one is earning income spending the income, and then spending more money than they have on credit, specifically on consumer-level goods, which either depreciate or become eradicated in their value. And that is America today. And it's in my own family. It's not my nuclear family, but in my extended family. I have family members that I know. They are never going to actually retire. When they retire, it will eventually be the point where they just can't work anymore because they will not rein in the spending. They won't do it, and they're not poor people from an income standpoint. They're not people that are making a million dollars a year or anything, but I'm talking well-paid professionals that can barely make it through, and if you shut their credit cards off right now, they wouldn't be able to pay their bills. Now, there's actually a way that they would be able to, but it requires sacrifice they're not willing to make. And, and I've known some of these people when they were 25, 30 years old, and they were that way then. And now they're 45, 50 years old or older. They're still that way. Life's catching up with you. You cannot be a prepared individual if you don't take responsibility for the monetary issues in your life. 
And being able to pay your credit card bills is not does not mean you've done that. Because you're still spending money that you don't have. And this is one of the big hang-ups for people because they don't want to give up. I don't want to give up. I'm going to tell you the truth. A few years before I started this show, so we're going back to around 2004, 2005, I'd become very successful in corporate America. I hadn't dug myself into a horrible hole. But we owed money on two vehicles, and I had $30,000 in credit card debt. $30,000. Right about that time, I had decided that I had had enough of my life in corporate sales, and I wanted to switch to marketing. The problem was I didn't have a track record in marketing, and I went from making a upper six-figure income to $45,000 a year, and while I was able to move back up pretty quickly, I spent two years making about $45,000 a year, carrying $30,000 worth of debt, and in those two years, we paid off all that debt. We paid off both of our vehicles. So I know it takes sacrifice, but I know what it's like on the other side of it. It's so liberating. It's freedom. And it's worth it. And it's not as hard as you think. So don't let that one hold you up. The other thing it's about is about improving knowledge and skills. It's not all about stuff. I hate these, these prepper shows and the prepper YouTube channels where people just have just loads of crap stored up. And they have a, a, a different tool for every task and like you need this and you need that. No, you don't. You need to know how to fix something when it breaks. You need to know how to do stuff. I mean, simple things that you don't even think of as preparedness, but they add to the quality of your life. Learn to do flooring. Put your own floor in your house. Instead of paying somebody else to do it, save thousands of dollars. Either keep the money or when you sell the house, you realize a greater gain. It's not that hard. Learning to know what you're good at. I did the floors in our house that we had before we have the one we have now. And laying the floor was easy. The house had a lot of kind of weird turns and angles and stuff like that. So the baseboards that went around it was complicated. I put the floor in and I hired a professional handyman to do the baseboards. That saved me $1,500. Now, I can't retire on $1,500, but it's nice to put it into my retirement. How many times can you do something like that in your life? $1,500 bucks here, $50 bucks there. $10 bucks here, $25 bucks there. $100 bucks here, $100 bucks there. I was recently gone on a, a hunting trip. Somehow, in that hunting trip, I lost my phone. It is gone. The find my phone function won't work. Where I was, there is no signal for the phone. Can't find the phone. I had to go out and buy a new phone. My contract's not up. Paid full price for a new phone. Expensive. Unhappy. Yes. Disaster. No. Did I whip the credit card out? No. I pulled out the bank debit card. Why? Because you manage your life in such a way that those things are no longer emergencies. How many people out there listening to me right now, if you found out you had to put new brakes on your car tomorrow for $800, you've got to go to the credit card. You have no choice. That's not controlling your life. We improve our knowledge and skills. We're able to bankroll that money, and then maybe we have the money and we say, I don't have the time, so now I just have to pay for the brakes. Or maybe we say, you know what? Brake shoes all around on my car is less than a hundred bucks. I have four hours. I can go change my brakes. 
And keep that money in your pocket. Knowledge and skills. And I don't want to generalize, but I'm telling you the preponderance of people that come to me and say, my spouse is not on board are women. I mean, are men, and it's women that are not on board. I do have some women. I want to be very clear about that. It's the guy that's resistant. And that just doesn't happen as often. But I think women actually really, and I know there's probably a lot of you listening today, you guys make the best preppers. You really do when you give it a shot. Number one reason is because it's motherly to ensure the comfort and safety of a family. And I know some people get all in a wad about being gender typecast or whatever, but parenting is important. But there's a difference between fatherhood and motherhood. And, and, and anybody who gets offended by that, I don't know what to tell you. Because a father doesn't carry a child in his body for nine months. A child doesn't go through childbirth and labor. And that alone, you know, there's the old mama bear thing, right? Don't get between the mama bear and her cubs. There's something true to that. Well, if preparedness is about making sure that you're taking care of the family, you're taking care of the nest, well, women would be ideal for it. Men tend to focus outward on securing the home and women inward. We've lost some of that. And I'll talk about it in a second, but here's what I mean by that. Men tend to think my job is to go to work and provide the roof. And women tend to think, at least on some level, my job is to make sure that we take care of everybody under the roof. And sure, both sides should think both ways to a degree. But there's, there's an innate piece of what we are, our humanity, our psychology, our id, that, that makes us what we are. And we can no more change it then we can change the color of the sky. It is an innate characteristic. And women have that kind of nesting mentality. The man goes out, brings the food home, the woman cooks it up. I know that sounds sexist. I cook more than anybody else will ever cook in this house. But there is a reason stereotypes are there, because they tend to kind of work out that way. They tend to kind of work out that way because... Women do enjoy taking care of the family. My wife right now, she had to work as our son came up. She had a couple years where she was able to stay home, but in general, he got older and didn't want to be in the home, and she wanted something to do, so she went back to work. Well, because we've managed our life well, eventually she left her job completely. And she works with me in my business, but she only works a few hours a week. And right now, every day, she has our granddaughter, who just turned six months old. She's in absolute heaven with it. She can't believe how lucky she is to be able to be part of this child's life every day and see her grow. And hold her and sit with her. And I love my granddaughter. I put her on my knee, I talk to her, I play games with her, I get her to smile. But I'm not going to, even if I had the time, I'm not going to spend six hours a day with a baby. Some men will, some women won't, but more women will than men. Because you have that motherly instinct. Preparedness is the most motherly thing you can do for your kids. Another reason is, women are less distracted by tactical gear, gizmos, and guns. I am a huge advocate of self-defense and protecting your family. 
I think you women like, I don't want a gun in my home. You need to wake up to reality. We live where nothing will ever happen. No, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. Do you know who, have you ever heard the word Kellogg? Kellogg family, like Kellogg cereal? I watched an interview with a man who robbed the, the Kellogg's house. They got better security than you do. Their neighborhood's nicer than yours is. Don't give me this that no one's going to ever come into your home. No one's ever going to hurt you. No one would ever want to take anything from you. Again, I know it's uncomfortable to think about the fact that that's not true, but it's more uncomfortable to find out it's not true and not be able to do something about it. So I am totally for being able to defend your home. I am totally for basic security measures around on the outside and inside of your home. I'm totally for having a plan if somebody does try to get in. This is where we're all going. This is what we're doing, etc. I am not putting down self-defense. I'm not putting down tactical thinking. I've gone very in-depth on it. But men tend to go overboard on it. And the, and the reality is, you are more likely to need a flashlight than a gun. You are more likely to need a bowl of soup than a bullet. You're going to eat every day for the rest of your life, unless you get really sick or something. And you're going to require that nourishment. You're probably not going to have to shoot somebody. And you pray to God you don't. We have that type of preparedness for that one time that we need it. Because not having it when you need it, the consequence can be death of yourself or someone you love. But we don't need to go overboard on it. We don't need a sniper rifle capable of taking out an enemy soldier at a thousand meters when we live in the suburbs and can't see that far. Now, if you want it, now for those listening that you enjoy that stuff, you want to go do it as a hobby, you want to go do it to test your skills, you want to test your development, go ahead. It's okay as long as you, as you can be, if you can do it financially responsibly. But if you have yet to make sure that your family's going to eat for 30 days, you are not doing it financially responsibly. If you have not stored up some basic water reserves when it's so stupid, cheap, and simple to do, then you're not doing it responsibility, responsibly if you're investing thousands of dollars in a scope. You're just not. Those things all come first. If you're carrying debt you haven't paid off yet on crap you don't even know where it is anymore, then you don't get distracted by that crap. That's the icing on the cake. You, you, so the first thing you have to do is make the batter. Then we can bake the cake. Then we can talk about putting the icing on it. Women, and I don't mean this in any kind of gender role, but women are willing to make the batter and bake the cake before they put the icing on it. Men often aren't. You women are the greatest preppers in the world when you decide to do it. I really believe that. And the last one is because women tend to place a high premium on safety. This is actually a detriment in some ways, as we've talked about today. The reason so many women are like, I don't want to think about it. Nothing will ever happen here. Who would do anything? What's going to happen? It'll all be okay. Is because you place such a premium on safety. You don't want to see the vulnerability that threatens the safety. Well, here's the truth. Whether Again, whether you like it or not. The vulnerability is there whether you're willing to look at it or not. The vulnerability is there whether you're willing to acknowledge it or not. And, and the things that will break, the, break through and compromise your safety don't give a flying damn 
about your disbelief in it or your cognitive dissonance in it. They don't care. The guy that will hurt you or your children, the guy that will break in your home to rape you, doesn't care that you don't think it's going to happen. In fact, he likes that you don't think it's going to happen because you let your guard down. The, the thunderstorm that will spawn a tornado that won't, you'll, you'll get lucky and it won't destroy your house, but it'll wipe out the power substation down the street and put you without power in the middle of the summer with young children when it's 105 degrees outside for four or five days doesn't give a damn that you don't think it's going to happen. Doesn't care. It doesn't care. But once you're willing to say, okay, gee, I never thought about this. All these risks are there. The premium on safety goes to, what do we do if? And it's not hard. And you don't do it all at once. And it's, it's a slow, deliberate process. And every time you add something to your tool chest, you feel better, you feel stronger, you feel safer. You make smarter decisions. You make smarter decisions about your family. You make smarter decisions about your health. You make smarter decisions about money. You make smarter decisions about today. You make smarter decisions about today as they relate to tomorrow. That's what happens. And that's why women are so damn good at it. I wish more women would, would be involved. There's a lot, but I'd like to see more. Here's kind of summing things up why every family should practice basic preparedness. First of all, things do go wrong. In fact, they do so often. Just think in your life right now, in the past year, have you heard about somebody who has cancer that you cared about, or you maybe didn't care about them so much, but they like you cared about the person that they cared about. So you found out that your best friend's sister who you've never met has cancer, something like that. Okay, that's a disaster. And can preparedness help with that? Well, if it happens to you, it can. We teach people to have a 72-hour kit. That's a basic bag for every member of the family that supports them for 72 hours. And we've had people write in and say, well, I've used that bag because I keep it in my vehicle because I had to rush my child to the hospital. And I didn't have to go home first. And I could stay there. I didn't have to leave. That's an example. It doesn't always have to be a storm. It doesn't always have to be the Illuminati coming for you or whatever. That's a, that's a real-world thing. Things go wrong, and they ha it happens all the time. Turn the TV on and look. They only report the bad stuff. But, boy, they have a lot of material to work with, don't they? No matter where you live, there's natural disasters that can occur where you live. There are big, mile-high threats that threaten things like the entire electrical grid of the United States. If you're reluctant, you're probably not ready to hear about that, so don't worry about it. Because all you need to worry about is having a blackout kit. So if the power goes out, you have one place in the house or two places in the house to go to to get the stuff to light everything up so that you can then put everything back in order. What, what, is, what is the consequence if the power goes out for five days right now in your house? It'll be uncomfortable, maybe hot, maybe cold, whatever it is. How about this? What's the value? What's the value of all the food in your refrigerator and freezer right now? So you went in there with a calculator and just started adding it all up. A lot of people, you're going to have $500, $600, $1,000 worth of food. Depends on how much meat's in there. Meat's expensive. So in five days, if you don't know what to do, 
And that doesn't mean you need a whole house generator or anything. It's pretty simple. We have simple solutions for it. You don't know what to do. You're going to lose most of that food. It's going to go bad. Just the economic cost. And then what are you going to do with it? So if the power's out, you might be in a situation where, you know, your, your garbage day happened to have just happened. You got a whole bunch of rotten food sitting around. And I, I know I'm painting an unpleasant picture, but trust me, I've seen a lot more unpleasant picture than that. And, and that kind of brings me to the, the next reason every family should practice basic preparedness. Preparing is easy. It's easy. It's simple. It's inexpensive. It's cheap. Half of the stuff you need to do doesn't even cost any money. It just takes some time to document some things and know what to do and know where to go. The things you do need to save up, water is dirt cheap. You can get containers for free for your water. You're probably throwing them away right now. Soda containers, uh, iced tea jugs, things like that. Store 50 gallons of water in four or five different places in the house on the floor of the back of a closet you're not using anyway. Now, if the water doesn't work, you have water. What did that cost you? Water costs, I think, like when I did the math one time, for most people, it's less than a penny a gallon. Less than, it's, it's significantly less than a penny a gallon. Oh, right up until the point where it won't come on, you're going down to the store and you're competing with all your neighbors for that last, you know, uh, pack, you know, pack of water bottles. It's so easy to prepare. Going to the store and saying, I buy this canned good, I buy three of these a month. This month, I'm going to buy six. I'm going to put three in the, in the thing and I'm going to start rotating them just like they do at the store. And doing that again next month. And do that again. And they go, you know, I got enough of that now. I'm going to go back to buying my three or my one or whatever and do that. It's all easy. It's all simple. Figuring out if you got a, if you got an evacuation notice, where to go now is easy. When you get the notice, if you haven't planned already, it's hard. Especially when your teenage daughter is at high school, you're at work, husband's at work, your kid's at daycare. Your younger kid's at daycare. Now what? It didn't cost any money to figure out the answer to that question in advance. But it causes a lot of hardship to have it happen and not know. And, and this is real world stuff. This isn't crazy talk. This is the stuff that actually happens. And it's so easy. The regret though, if I would have only. Just think right now. Try to think in your head to some point in your life where something happened and you said to yourself, if yesterday I had only, or I should have had something already in place for that. I wish I had. Now, make the consequences your kid goes cold, tired, and hungry because you didn't. And it feels a lot worse. But preventing it is easy. And, and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we can prevent everything from being uncomfortable. I'm not saying we can prevent things from happening. I'm not even saying, well, I guarantee you if you do these things, you won't get killed. You get run over by a truck. Fate is a real thing, too. What I am saying is, if whatever happens, happens, and you're prepared, even if the consequences are bad, they'll be better than if you weren't. And that's all that we can do. That's the best that we can do. The other reason is, I don't know about you, but I like to help other people. It's actually really important to me that if I see somebody in need, and there's something I can do about it, that I take that action and I provide that assistance to them. That's, that's an ethic that was drilled into me by my grandparents, very, very much so. And in serving in the military, I learned that even more. And in serving the military in third world countries, I learned that even more. 
I'm amused when people say, well, if I had to, I'd eat garbage. And I think, well, I've been to places in the world where there's no edible garbage. There's nothing in the garbage for you to eat. Because if it's edible, it never makes it to the garbage. And when you, when you live like that and you see things like that and you come from a background of poverty, I don't want to go out and hand out checks to people who I know are not going to do anything to better their life with it. But if I can help somebody, I'm going to. And that includes a neighbor who wasn't prepared for the power to go out. And I say, hey, you know what? Let me bring my portable generator over for a couple hours today. We'll just run your freezer and, air, and your refrigerator for you for a couple hours. Throw a couple blankets over it, and uh, that'll get you through till tomorrow when they get the lights back on. Real story. I like helping other people. If, you know, one of the things people tend to do when they, there's a death in a family of friends and loved ones is people cook and bring food over. Why? Because the family's dealing with all this crap. And it's one thing they can just not have to worry about. They don't, really don't feel like eating anyway, but they know they have to, so they sit down and there's a casserole. Okay, eat a little bit of that. And it helps. Well, you preparedness person, you've got food. You know you can do that. And, you know, we start saying things like, you know, If we go out to the restaurant eight times a month, maybe that's too much. Maybe it should be four. Maybe it should be three. Then we learn to cook better. That means we're able to help out in that situation. That means we have some extra money. That means when something horrible happens to somebody and money is the solution, we have money to offer. And that's because we live this disciplined lifestyle. Discipline does not mean not fun. I'm having more fun in my life now than I ever did. Than I ever did. I love the life I have today. I'm so grateful for it. But I also know that it wasn't given to me. I worked for it. And that's a good thing. And that brings me to my last reason, is it will make your life better and your family stronger. I believe the family that preps together stays together. Because when you've thought about what could go wrong and you've done things to prevent things from going wrong, together is a family and things go wrong, you, you react to them as a family. You know the number one threat to the family in America today? Divorce. A divorce is a disaster. Trust me. A divorce is a, dis is a disaster for everybody. Even if one side gets a better financial deal, it's, it's a disaster. If you have children, it's, it's an ungodly disaster. Even when people do the best they can to be as amicable as they can, With each other, a divorce is a disaster. This is the survival podcast. If we can't get the family to survive, how much do we even care that we're trying to make the individual survive, like survival of the fittest? When, when you're prepared as a family, you're more likely to get through situations. I, I, I think it's actually pretty obvious that that's the case. And, and I would just say to anybody that's been listening today, If you look at it that way, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you say, you know what, we're going to do a little bit more to, you know, conserve our, pull back our spending on things we don't really need and save a little bit more money and maybe get rid of some of these debts. Maybe it makes sense to put a few pots out on the porch and grow, at least grow some of our own herbs. Maybe to learn how to cook a little bit better together as a family. Uh, to make sure that we have stuff assembled that if the power goes out, we can find our way around. To have some reserve water, to, to think about 
putting away some extra food, to have a first aid kit so if somebody gets hurt, yeah, we might call 911, but we can render aid right away. And maybe we should have a little bit of knowledge about how to use that first aid equipment. That's preparedness. Maybe we should have planned routes. If I can't come home from work and I have to go somewhere else, how am I going to get there? Maybe Siri won't be around to tell me. You know, putting out some maps from Google Maps and putting them in a folder and keeping them in the car, not hard to do. Maybe I should have everybody in the family's contact information somewhere other than in my phone. The old school Rolodex. But maybe that should go with the maps. That's a good idea. What if every car and vehicle in that family had one of those? And we just kept it on the computer so we could print it out when we made additions to it. What if it had the places we would call if we needed a hotel room? Because there was an evacuation. There'll never be an evacuation. You don't know that. What are you out? When there is an evacuation and 400,000 people are trying to book a hotel room, who do you think gets the hotel room? The one that pulled the thing out and went, hey, I need a room for the night first. That's who. That's who. Nothing will ever go wrong. I was in an airplane one day and landed, beautiful day in Pittsburgh. And I went and got my bag and I went to meet my sales rep that was working for me, go out on sales calls. We turned the radio on and a plane had hit a building in New York City. It was a major disruption in the life of America as a whole. Things can and do go wrong. And it does happen anywhere and everywhere. Illnesses, diseases, natural disasters, economic problems. They don't really care. They don't really care where you live. They don't care what kind of gates around your community. They don't, they don't really care that nothing's ever happened to you before. They don't really care. They're emotionless. They are simply what is. We have intellect. We have knowledge. We have power. We can be in a situation where no matter what comes at us, we have an option. I'm not going to say we're always going to win. Life beats us all at times. But so many people are beaten when they didn't have to be. If someone asked you to listen to this show, all they're saying is, don't be that person without the option. Be open. Be willing to grow, even though it's uncomfortable. And that's what this is all about. I'll finish with a quick story. I don't remember the speaker one time, but I was listening to a speaker and he said that if lobsters were like human beings, they would never grow. And what he meant by that is a lobster grows to a certain size and it starts to become very, very uncomfortable. Because the, the, the shell on the outside can't grow, can't keep up with the body. So eventually the lobster goes into a place where it's going to be safe and protected from things that want to hurt it. And it sheds its outer shell. And then it's vulnerable. It's uncomfortable and it's vulnerable. It hurts. And then it's like, man, for a little while here, anything could get me. I'm not all strong anymore. And it hides and it waits. And that shell hardens up. And now it's a lobster. And it's a bigger, stronger, more equipped lobster. Because it was uncomfortable. If we humans had that problem... We would go to the doctor and ask for a pill so we could be comfortable and not grow and not be vulnerable. Don't be afraid of growth. Don't be afraid of a little bit of discomfort. Our nation could do with a bit more discomfort. The children of this nation are failing because the parents are failing to let them be uncomfortable. 
And it's because we're doing it to ourselves. We're doing it to ourselves too. The, the, the desire to put your fingers in your ears, close your eyes and not think about what can go wrong. It's because you don't want to be uncomfortable. And the, com- the discomfort isn't really in knowing that those things can happen because we all know it. The discomfort is in the growth required. If the maturity where we realize that we alone are responsible for our lives. I invite you to take that journey with us here at the Survival Podcast. We have a lot to teach you. We have almost 2,000 episodes now. It's like a free encyclopedia of knowledge. Please make use of them. And if somebody asked you to listen to today's show, and especially if you're listening to the commercial-free version, give us a shot. Come on by, talk to the person that referred this to you, and thank them. Because whether you want to get on board with it or not, even if you decided, I don't really think I'm into this right now, still thank them, because I'll tell you their heart was genuine when they asked. With that, I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Please do share this this show with your friends and family. Uh, this is a great one for sharing. It was designed for that. And if you like this show and the work that we do, consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you'll get exclusive content available only to members. You'll help support the show at 18.3 cents an episode. A military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, first responders like EMTs, paramedics, and firefighters, all of you guys qualify for a discount. If you email me before, not after you join, send that email to jack at the survivalpodcast.com with TSPC service discount in the subject line. Uh, next up, the other way you can support us, the easy way, the simple way, tspaz.com. Just go to tspaz.com. When you get there, you can click a link. You'll see the most recent item of the day that I've reviewed. I don't have one for you today. And there's another link. You click it, you go to Amazon. When you get there, you buy whatever the hell you want, including things that have nothing to do with preparedness or me or anything else. Like, well, I guess it's preparedness. I know a guy bought dog diapers. That was one of the things I saw show up. In fact, he must be buying them frequently because he bought some more. Uh, maybe he has an old dog. Maybe he trains lots of pups. I don't know. But I got credit because he bought his dog diapers through T-Spaz. So if you think I'm doing a good job and you think it's worth supporting the show, but you don't want to pull money out of your pocket, you don't have to. All you got to do is when you're going to buy something at the biggest online retailer anyway, which most of us probably do, just go to a different domain, tspaz.com, T-S-P-A-Z. Dot com. That brings us to our closing song of the day. I was trying to think of a the right kind of song, the right mood for the end of the show. I've been saying I was going to do Christmas uh, songs until Christmas, and I will, but I, today just didn't seem like a Christmassy show, you know? So I thought, well, what is a, a great older song? Because you guys know me. I like old music. If it's from the 70s, then I'm really, I'm really you know, kind of in my zone. And I thought, this show is actually very positive, very uplifting, even though we talk about some of the darker segments of it. And I was just kind of looking about, you know, just kind of Googled songs about perseverance or survival and I found these long lists and some of them aren't very spot on and some of them are just ridiculous. But so I'm going through, I see this song and I go, I know that song. I Can See Clearly Now by Johnny Nash. I think it's 70, it was released in 74 if I remember right. And You know, it's a very uplifting song. I can see clearly now the rain is gone. I can see all obstacles in my way. You know, you notice in that line, all obstacles in my way. It's not that there's no longer the obstacles. I can just see them and I know what to do about them. That's what preparedness is. That's what modern survivalism is. 
It's, it's not the removal of the obstacle. It's not the removal of the danger. It's the willingness to look at it, think about it, and deal with it. And when, once you're, it seems so disempowering. Oh man, this could happen, that could happen, whatever. But once you do it, it's extremely empowering. So be empowered. Keep sharing the show with others. And thank all of you. I'd just like to thank all of you who have shared the Survival Podcast with anyone. And thank all of you that listen. With that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. I can see clearly now the rain is gone. I can see all obstacles in my way. Gone are the dark clouds that had me blind. It's gonna be I think I...